Good morning. Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Continuing our series through the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Y'all look good this morning. I know I tell you that often, but you really do. You look good. You put on your good clothes this morning. Um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, reads this way. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. August 29th, uh, 2005, Hurricane Katrina struck the Gulf Coast. And it was really one of the most devastating storms in all of U.S. history. Um, Levees and flood walls broke, covering over 80% of the city of New Orleans underwater. Um, Lost power, people were stranded all over the place. It was a Category 3 storm with some 127 mile per hour winds. This thing was crazy. Some 10,000 people flooded to the Superdome in New Orleans to find shelter from this horrendous storm. According to FEMA, there were some around $108 billion worth of damage. Um, This thing wreaked havoc upon cities on the Gulf Coast. Over 1,800 people lost their lives in the wake of Katrina. Uh, Think of the families that will never be the same. Think of... Think of the holidays that were transformed forever because of this storm. Think of the the memories that were lost in those homes. Think of the chaos that ensued in New Orleans. I saw a number of images as I was thinking about um, reminding myself of the story of Hurricane Katrina. And there was one image where there, there were literally hundreds of inmates sitting on a on a highway handcuffed to one another with armed guards around them chaos and the reality is life in new orleans will never be the same again it's been changed it's been changed forever families have been changed memories have been created. Lives were lost and families were completely disrupted. And when we come to our text this morning, we're we're talking about a heavy subject. It's adultery. And I want to tell you, the same effects that this storm had on a city is the effect that adultery has on families. Wreaks havoc. Wrecks lives. Devastating. Adultery consumes families and lives. And I think it's so important here because out of ten commandments that God gives us, He says, number seven, don't commit adultery. That's heavy. And obviously God is putting weight and value here. Destroys homes. Breaks promises. And it leaves tons of collateral damage. I want us to see three main ideas this morning. We'll see that God demands faithfulness. We'll see that our hearts 
are prone to wonder. And lastly, we'll see that God's grace is deep and wide enough, even for adulterers. But before we go to work, let's commit this time to the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your grace to us. And Father, it's evident, the fact that we are sitting here, the fact that we're in this room together, living and breathing, Father, you you have reminded us through every breath of your grace and your mercy upon us. And we thank you that your grace and your mercy is fresh for us this morning. We receive it, God. Lord, would you speak to us? Would Would you give us a word from heaven? Father, I pray that you would use this time, that, that, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see all that you would say and do this morning. Help us, Lord. By your Spirit, give clarity. By your Spirit, give power. By your Spirit, would you just give a fresh anointing this morning? Father, we long to experience all that you would do. Move me aside. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the repetitive themes we want to put before you is that it is not your obedience to the Ten Commandments that will motivate your love for God. Rather, it is your love for God that will fuel your obedience to the Ten Commandments. We've said that this, that it's so easy for us to view the Ten Commandments as a dark cloud over our heads or this heavy weight upon our shoulders that, that's almost like a burden and we, 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 we really shouldn't view the Ten Commandments this way. We ought to view the Ten Commandments as God's passageway to Jesus because our failure to obey the Ten Commandments perfectly show us our need for Jesus over and over and over again. The fact that we fail to to not put other gods before Him shows us that we need Jesus. Uh, The the fact that we fail to, to... Consistently, over and over, we create idols in our own hearts. It shows us that we need Jesus. The fact that we have anger and bitterness in our hearts toward our brothers and sisters who are created in the image of God tells us that we need Jesus. See, whether you've been faithfully married for decades, whether you are single, whether you've experienced the heartbreak Uh, of adultery, whether you are a violator of the seventh commandment, this message is for you. One of the major ideas is that God demands faithfulness. See, one of the ways God has given us the opportunity to honor our commitment to Him is to stay faithful in marriage. Listen to me. One of the ways that God has given us, you and me, the opportunity to honor Him is to stay faithful in marriage. The problem is, in our culture, there is a lack of definition of marriage. And it's so funny, um, Rick and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago. Um, If we don't understand what marriage is, we're, we're susceptible to believe anything about it. If there is no definition of what what Bible-believing marriage is, we'll believe anything about it. And I would submit to you this morning that there is a lack of a definition of marriage. What is marriage? 
One pastor said it this way, and I agree with him. Marriage is covenant and consummation. You need both. You can't have the coming together without the covenant. Marriage is both. Genesis 2.24 helps us with this idea. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Covenant. And they shall become one flesh. Consummation. Marriage was intended to be permanent, to be sacred, to be exclusive, and to be between a man and a woman. Evidenced in the creation narrative in Genesis. I want to tell you this morning, hear me. The Supreme Court cannot determine what marriage is. Only the Bible can do that. Only the creator of the universe can determine the definition of marriage. Only the one who has created us in his own image with his own likeness can give us the right definition of what marriage is. See, when we mess with the original definition of marriage, anything goes. Nothing is out of bounds. If we mess with the definition of marriage, what keeps a man from wanting to marry his daughter? What keeps a man from wanting to marry his sister if he feels compelled to do so? If we mess with the definition of marriage, nothing is out of bounds. See, God's desire is for faithfulness, longevity, and exclusivity. If you're currently married, um, can we just have an honesty moment here? If, if you're married now, um, can you just lift your hands if your marriage hasn't always been a walk in the park? Can, can you just... Whoa, whoa. I mean, we, we got a lot of folks who, who will publicly admit that marriage is hard. Somebody said amen. Yeah. It's hard. It can be grueling at times. I, I know because I've heard many of your stories. Yet God has given us clearly an outline for marriage. He says it should be exclusive. It should be for long term. Forever. Because God wants faithfulness. See, the reason is because marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And I love this. The second half of Ephesians 5 shows us if Jesus' goal is to present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle. That's his goal. Yet the best way to describe the marriage relationship is Christ's relationship with his church. And you know what? I'm so glad that marriage wasn't described um, by the church's love for Jesus. Because marriage would be, it's a messy and ugly thing, but it, it would be in a bad place. If the only definition of marriage were the church's love for Christ. But yet we, we get this beautiful picture of Jesus, his love for his church. It is an unfailing love. It is a loyal love. It is a faithful love. Jesus' goal for us 
in marriage is that we would be faithful. What Christ desires from his church is love, affection, and faithfulness. What Christ desires from us in the context of the marriage relationship is love, affection, and faithfulness. It it reminds me of the nation of Israel. Uh, The nation of Israel had this relationship with God. This covenant kind of relationship. And over and over again, the nation of Israel, they would go and find their hope in other things. They would give their heart to to other things, and yet God would woo them back with His covenant love and His covenant mercy. He would call them back to Himself over and over and over and over again. And yet again, they would turn their backs on Him, and God would woo them back. That's the picture of marriage. The idea of the two becoming one, flesh. And over and over and over again, you disappoint one another, but yet it is the responsibility of the spouse to woo you back to them. Husbands, woo your wives back to you. Wives, woo your husbands back. That's what God did with the nation of Israel. With His covenant people. And that's what God does with us. Believers in Christ Jesus. And God says, that's the picture of marriage. Failure and triumph. Failure and triumph. Over and over and over again. Yet, uh, this is foreign. This is a foreign concept in our culture today. The other day, I I, I was listening to um, sports, sports radio and... Uh, this ad came on the radio, and it just kind of blew my mind, uh, from the law offices Cordell and Cordell. And this, this, this ad was, it was a free, uh, divorce school, they called it. And so, what they were advertising was, hey, come to our law office's free divorce school and we'll teach you how to get the most money out of your divorce. We'll teach you how to get the most time from your kids. Uh, we'll teach you how to give your, your ex-spouse the, the least amount when the divorce comes. Our culture does not value biblical marriage whatsoever. In fact, I mean, just think about one of the hottest TV shows that's around right now, Scandal. The the premise of the entire show is a guy who plays the president cheating on his wife over and over again, adultery. This is a part of our culture so much so that we've become desensitized to the weight of adultery. In fact, I, I just I just have this view that you know there's certain things that have become a, a, a part of the formula for a successful sitcom, and adultery is one of them. We we don't value the faithfulness that God originally intended for marriage. This is man's standard, though God has. A different standard, and it is a standard of faithfulness. When the two become one, and the two become one again, 
When, when the two become one and the two become, and the one becomes two, that's a problem. When the two becomes one and the one then becomes two again, it leaves scars. Because the two, when they become one, they, they were never meant to become two again. Leaves scars, leaves heartbreak, leaves pain. Because God's original intent and purpose is for faithfulness. The seventh commandment teaches us that God's de- God demands faithfulness, but secondly, it teaches us that our hearts are prone to wonder. Our hearts are prone to wonder. The very fact that God had to intentionally put No adultery in the Ten Commandments tells us that our hearts are prone to adulterate. That we're prone to wonder. Look at Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 28 with me. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoo! This is heavy stuff. And maybe if, if you're single like me, if you're not, if you're not married like me, um, maybe you checked out on me before this point, but, but I need you to check back in right now. Because this is heavy stuff. Jesus gives us some real talk. Jesus keeps it 100 here. Jesus says... I know what the Old Testament taught you. The Old Testament taught you that committing adultery is wrong. But New Covenant, New Testament, it is the heart before the hands. It's this idea of lustful intent. The idea behind lustful intent is to greatly desire. To, to long for, to set one's heart upon, to earnestly desire, or get this, to crave. When you crave something that does not belong to you, sexual in nature, you are a, an adulterer. So if you're sitting in front of the computer screen or if you've got your iPad out or you've got the iPod touch out and pornography is where you you satisfy your craving, you are an adulterer. And I want you to hear me this morning. This again, in the same way that Matthew 5 when it came to murder, leveled the playing field, this levels the playing field. New Testament, New Covenant, it is the heart before the hands. And I want you to hear me say, if you are creating bad habits with masturbation or pornography, you will take that into marriage with you, singles. You will not get rid of it. If you don't face it now, 
you'll take those same habits of seeing new images over and over again and your heart will take you along to your hands and you will become even more of an adulterer. This is Jesus' message to us. Jesus lays on an extra layer. And, And before many of us would read Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, and, and man, we, we, we read, do not commit adultery, and whew, I'm good. And done that yet. One out of ten. I'm good. And then boom, Matthew chapter 5. Woo! The dagger. The icing on the cake with poison in it. It's your heart, the intentions of your heart. And, 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 and let me tell you that lustful intent is, it's not just the act or it's not just something like pornography or in that realm, but lustful intent is the craving of a coworker in the office. Maybe you got a work boo. And maybe, maybe, maybe you, had, you hadn't even done anything yet, but emotionally that thing has gone too far. And, and y'all have intimate conversations with one another. And you kind of, you kind of reroute your schedule so you can cross paths with one another. A longing for something new, a craving, it's adultery. And Jesus adds on this layer. And he makes it very clear that this is adultery. And I want, I want you to hear me say this this morning. Um, I know that there are some who are of the philosophy uh, that masturbation is innocent. And I'll tell you that because of this category of lustful intent, um, there is no way that you can masturbate without lustful intent. It's adultery. And Jesus is very intentional with pointing this out. The old covenant points to the hands. While the New Covenant points to the intentions of our heart. The reason the Seventh Commandment is here is because our hearts, they're they're prone to wander. There is always this feeling that maybe the grass is greener on the other side. We, we, we have this, this idea that only if I can get something new... When really, what we should be doing is the same thing that the city of New Orleans had been doing for years is rebuild our marriage, m- massage that thing, work it out, fight, persevere. The same thing that Haiti is doing, rebuild, massage that thing, fight, persevere. That's what God wants for your marriage. I want you to fight for it. And I'm not saying that there are 
never times in which you should divorce. I think the Bible speaks to that. But what I'm saying here is God is longing for us to be faithful in marriage. That's what He wants. Get this, even if you're not always comfortable, God wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be faithful in marriage. We get it from our first mom and our first dad, Eve and Adam. Romans 5 tells us that we inherited from Adam a wandering heart of sin. We inherited from our first mama and our first daddy a wandering heart that that tends to have us looking in other directions other than God. And we're searching for real fulfillment. We're searching for satisfaction. We're we're searching for that ultimate pleasure. And we will never find it outside of Christ. We get it from our mom and our dad. They, They gifted it to us. It's left us with this empty hole in our hearts that that tends to lead us to attempt to find pleasure and satisfaction and fulfillment in lustful desires. And over and over again, we go back to the mud and roll around in it, expecting different results when the enemy is looking to wreak havoc upon our families. And that's something that you and I have to realize. That there is a very real enemy whose only job description is to kill, steal, and destroy. The last thing that he wants to see is a godly, faithful, committed, long-lasting marriage. The last thing he wants to see is a long, faithful, committed, single person who's dedicated to the cause of Christ. He wants to devour you. And one of the ways he will do that is your lustful desires. Um... It's kind of crazy. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I remember this happened to me one time. And um, I've got 14 nieces and nephews, so it's happened to me uh, multiple times as an adult as well. But uh, have you ever lost a kid in the grocery store? Um, it's the craziest feeling as an adult. But as a kid, I remember getting lost for the first time in a grocery store, and at first, the experience is intriguing. You know. You're seeing all of these adventures and these things that you've never seen before. You're, you're wandering around this new place. And all of a sudden, you look up and all you can see is strangers. All you can see and all you have before you is things that you didn't realize would be there. After you're wandering... You you find yourself lost in a dark place of strangers. And this is what happens with our lustful desires. Our hearts are 
prone to wonder and to seek out adventure and to seek out new things. And we will only find ourselves in a dark place filled with proverbial strangers of sin. And it will lead us to destruction. It will devour us. It will kill us. Over and over again, we seek the pleasure, maybe in somebody else's bed. And God is, through Jesus, communicating to us that none of it could ever fulfill us. And those lustful desires will only leave us empty over and over again. Lastly, we've got to understand that God's grace is wide and deep enough for adulterers. And I'm so glad, y'all. I'm so glad. Because I personally need to hear this this morning. I need to hear that the grace of Jesus is wide enough to absorb my sin. Romans 5.8 tells us, That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me give you the Chris version. While we were yet sinners and loving it, Christ died for us. While we were yet in our sin and while we were yet enjoying it, Christ still died. While we were yet finding satisfaction in our brokenness and and in our sin... Christ died for us. While we were at the computer screen in the late night hour, while we were in a bed that we did not belong in, while we had our hands in our pants, Christ still died for us. He died for us. And He gave up His life that we would know Him deeply and that we would understand that we don't have to continue seeking lustful desires. That we can say yes to Him. Some of us aren't worn out. We love our lustful intent. While the very purpose of Jesus was to come to rescue us. Do you need to be rescued this morning? Do you need rescuing Do you need to be rescuing, rescued from the brokenness of your lustful intent and your lustful desires? Do you need to be rescued from the bondage of pleasure that only leaves you empty and used? That's the very reason that Jesus came. Paul said to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, he said, You are dead in your trespasses and sin." He said, you, you, you followed the course of this world. He said, you followed the prince of the power of the air. He said, you carried out the desires of the body. But then I love this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God. But God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This, friends, is our God. 
And I'm so glad this morning that uh, adulterers are not left out in the kingdom of heaven because of the work of Christ and nothing in and of themselves. And what the work of Christ says to us is God beckons us to Himself through the cross of Calvary. And He says, you shameful, guilty adulterers, come to Me. All you who are weary and I will give you rest. You adulterers with lustful intent. You, you adulterers who didn't fall into sin but jumped into it. You adulterers come to me and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest for your soul. Come. Come to me this morning. Because my yoke is easy, my burden is light, the, the burden of adultery is heavy, but, but folks, my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me. Come on. There's room. There's room in the kingdom for you. Um, my grandmother passed away when I was in the eighth grade, and um, one of the things I remember about her is that she, she was the chef of all chefs. She just could cook anything. Um, my grandmother raised ten children and was for many years married. So there were a lot of folks in the house. And my grandmother just got used to cooking these enormous meals for 12 to 15 folks all at one time. And she cooked all the time. And I remember growing up once my uncles and aunts and, you know, they were all adults and out of the house my grandmother would still cook these large, enormous meals. She, she was conditioned to do this. And the cool thing about my grandmother is that because she cooked these large, enormous meals, get this, there was always room at her table. She, she always had a place there for folks who were hungry. For folks who were thirsty and who needed substance. She, she always had a, a place at her table. And, and I'm here to tell you this morning that, that God's grace is big enough and wide enough that He has a place at His table for you. And He welcomes you to come into His house even as a lustful adulterer and to have a seat and enjoy the meal because He said, I gave my life that you may have a place at the table. Receive me. Say yes to me. Believe me. That's what God asks of us. And that over and over again, as Mark chapter 1 says, that you and I would repent and believe the gospel over and over and over again. That we would be repenting, turning away from our sin and going in the right direction and believing the good news of Jesus. That that would be characteristic of our lives. Whether we've been walking with Jesus for 10 or 15 or 20 years or 6 months, that it would be characteristic of our lives that we would repent and believe the gospel and repent again and believe the gospel over and over again because Jesus says there is room at my table. His grace is big enough. His grace is wide enough to encompass your shame and your guilt. And He welcomes you. 
at his table. Have you believed that? Do you believe that? Have you received the free gift of grace? You can do it. In the quietness of your own heart, you can receive God's free gift of grace. In the car, driving home, you can receive God's free gift of grace. He welcomes you. There is a seat at His table. Let's pray together. Father, thank You that You didn't leave us to ourselves. Thank You, God, that You call adulterers to Yourself. Thank You that Your grace is enough. It's sufficient for us. And we don't have to go look in other places. But that You sent Your Son to be sufficient and to atone for our sin. And Lord, I I pray that by Your Spirit, You would shake us up and that You wouldn't allow us to rest until we over and over again, we repent and believe the Gospel. Help us to say yes, God, to Your Son, Jesus, and the work of the cross of Calvary. Because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. In Jesus' name, Amen.